The U.S. Arab Radio Network is proud to offer the Ray Hanania Show with veteran journalist Ray Hanania, the U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper. U.S. Arab Radio broadcast content Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, WDMV 700 in Washington, D.C., and simulcast through stations around the country. Programs will rerun from 5 till 6 p.m. Visit us on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio. And we're also streaming live on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. Understand the challenges we have in the Middle East. We have to understand both sides and look at everything with a smart mind. It doesn't mean that we have to agree. It means that we all have to be smart. We have to share one goal. And for me, that is peace based on nonviolence and compromise that respects the intractable and unresolved differences sometimes between both sides. And then we can resolve the issue between Palestine and Israel. As a Palestinian, the goal of peace and Palestinian statehood has been the frame that has defined my life, and I'm sure it defines the lives of almost all Palestinians. It's only one aspect of the Middle East conflict, but it's critical. I remember spending much time with Yasser Arafat and meeting with Shimon Perez and Yitzhak Rabin in 1993 at the White House and watching as the two sides with some hesitancy came together to see if they could work out peace and end a terrible conflict that has harmed both peoples. Of course, even in ending the conflict, you can never really end all the violence. But you can, in an agreement, work together and redefine the relationship between Jews and Arabs by working to confront the extremists, because that is what peace does. It transforms the relationship between two adversaries, from Israelis versus Palestinians to moderates who support peace and justice versus extremists who embrace conflict and violence. The extremists embrace violence because they're not seeking peace based on compromise. They want victory over the other. Two states means that we recognize Israel and Palestine with adjusted borders and policies. We work towards adjusting them fairly and with respect. It also means we deal with governments and not aim our anger or criticism against people as a people. We pursue peace while criticizing a government. That's legitimate. I know extremists will criticize me for speaking with Israelis, but I don't care. We need to speak with each other and separate the haters from those who are overly cautious, uh, those who are angry, those who are hesitant, who sometimes are made to look like haters, but they're just being cautious. We need to create a new environment in which we can speak together about all the issues. I remember in the 1970s, I debated Israeli Foreign Minister Abba Iban when I was 26 years old on national TV. It was at the urging of Ibrahim Abuluhud and Edward Said, who were organizing the Palestinians in Chicago. I then later, years later, launched the Israeli-Palestinian comedy tour. I even wrote for several Israeli newspapers and Palestinian and Arab world newspapers to get my views of peace based on compromise out to the people so we can talk. We don't just talk to ourselves. We don't talk to our choirs and then hope we can make change. We talk with the people we disagree with in order to achieve peace and move forward. Arafat told me, and this is something that's been said many times, what many have said, we don't make peace with our friends, we make peace with our enemies. And there is no better time to do that 
than during the holy month of Ramadan, which begins this week. So we're going to begin by discussing Ramadan with two guests, and then later we'll talk with a representative of Israel's leading political party. Right now, I'd like to introduce uh, my two guests uh, who will help us understand, especially there are a lot of Americans uh, who are listening to the show um, who need to understand Ramadan, but also uh, uh, respect it as a religion, uh, not some political movement as it sometimes is, is portrayed by critics. Our guest is Saeed Khan, a professor from Wayne State University. And one of the things that uh, Professor Khan, I hope, can help us understand is how Ramadan has now been accepted in American society more than it ever was. And also, we're going to talk with one of our uh, past guests who I, I just love her. She does a great job in addressing issues, uh, Arab News section editor and writer, Rowan Redwan. Welcome, Saeed. Welcome, Rowan, to the Rayhan Ania show this morning. Good morning and uh, salam alaikum and uh, Ramadan Kareem to all of you. Rowan, you hear it? Go ahead. Good afternoon from my end and Ramadan Mubarak to all. Now, and then is that the proper for non-Muslims and non-Arabs? Is that the proper? I, I saw a story about somebody wishing everybody a happy Eid, which I just assumed is the Arabic word for holiday. Is it? Is, what's the proper way to greet somebody during Ramadan? I think all of these are acceptable. Uh, I, I've seen so much on social media lately saying uh, wishing somebody a happy Ramadan uh, would be like wishing somebody a happy Lent, uh, a period of time where there's abstention and challenge. Uh, and actually, I, I, I think that that's the wrong way to approach Ramadan. Uh, uh, Ramadan is considered to be a month of blessing uh, for uh, Muslims around the world. Uh, it allows Muslims to downshift uh, a little bit, uh, maybe even get off the grid uh, for a little while to uh, focus on themselves, their spiritual well-being, uh, hopefully uh, enhance that discipline that comes from uh, a bit of abstention. Uh, an empathy that is uh, certainly shared then with people who throughout the year uh, don't necessarily have. Uh, and as a result of it, uh, even when it's uh, around 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock in the evening, right before breaking one's fast and, uh, and you're really hitting the bend, so to speak, uh, it's still a happy occasion. I, I know for many Christians, we respect Ramadan. We live in the Muslim world. Um, as Christian Arabs, and we, you know, uh, participate in Ramadan in many ways. Uh, the fasting, I know that a lot of my relatives in uh, uh, the Middle East fast along with Muslims to show support and uh, work. Uh, Rowan, uh, how important is Ramadan as a uh, Muslim woman? Um, it is very important, not only as a Muslim woman, it's, a, it's an important event for any and every Muslim. Um, and just so everyone knows, it's not forced on everyone. Of course, the only, only those who are able to fast can fast. So you can't force, so you have women who are pregnant or are nursing mothers, they, they're not obligated to nurse. You also have the elderly, the ill, the sick, and we're talking as simple as something as like those who are diabetic that can go onto the into diabetic shock if they don't if they don't you know nourish themselves so if they don't eat um, so they're not obligated to to fast but it's not about abstention from food it's 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 more than that it's more about just like Mr. Said said it's more about 
focusing on oneself. It's, it's basically finding the right time and making time to basically sit on your own and just focus on what you want to be and how you want to like, how you want to be a better version of yourself and basically come up with a habit that will stay longer for just the, those 30 days. Um, it's building a habit of, of progressing your, your inner, you know, you, you just developing who you are and be, uh, ensuring that that closeness, that relationship with, with the maker and also with your siblings, with your family members, with your loved ones are also strengthened through peace, quiet, through just, sitting in that corner in your room and just reading either the Quran or, you know, the supplications or just, you know, just focusing on yourself. You know, Ramadan does that for everyone. We're going to take a quick, fast break, if we don't mind to use that word, a little pun. Um, we're going to do a uh, ad break. When we come back, we're going to continue talking with our guest, Saeed Khan, a professor from Wayne State University on how Ramadan has been accepted in American society. And also we're going to go into a little more depth with Arab News section editor and writer Rowan Redwan on the precautions uh, regarding coronavirus uh, that are being taken in uh, Mecca for the pilgrims that are visiting there. I'm Ray Hanania. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back right after these messages. Com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination. Freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Are your hands feeling numb? Do you feel pain opening up a jar, turning a key, are you noticing that your elbow and your shoulder are becoming stiff? Or were you recently injured in your arm? Hello, I'm Dr. Albajit Katranji, and at the Katranji Hand Center, which just recently opened down the street from the Somerset Mall, we can provide you with the latest in hand, wrist, elbow, and shoulder care. Visit us at www.katranjihandcenter.com to learn the latest techniques that we have to offer you, and I look forward to taking care of you. Visit us in Troy at 1565 West Big Beaver Road, Building F, or call Katranji Hand Center for an appointment at 248-869-4263. That's 248-869-4263. Ziad Brand, quality products from our family to yours. Ziad Brothers Importing offers the finest quality products, including brands like Sultan, Kraft, Nestle, Hook, Rico Picon, Donna, and many more. Ask your retailer to carry these fine products because you deserve the very best. 
For more information, visit our website at www.ziad.com. That's www.ziad.com. Ziad, quality products from our family to yours. The U.S. Arab Radio Network is proud to offer the Ray Hanania Show with veteran journalist Ray Hanania, the U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper. U.S. Arab Radio broadcast content Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, WDMV 700 in Washington, D.C., and simulcast through stations around the country. Programs will rerun from 5 till 6 p.m. Visit us on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio. And we're also streaming live on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. And welcome back to the Ray Hanania Show with my guest, Saeed Khan, a professor from Wayne State University, uh, talking about how Ramadan has been accepted in American society more and more uh, over the years. And also Arab News section editor, Rawan Redwan, who's going to talk to us about uh processes and uh, safeguards and procedures that have been taken in Saudi Arabia to uh, protect the health and well-being of pilgrims who go there every year. Uh, Professor Khan, tell us about uh, how has Ramadan been accepted in the United States? I mean, do we accept it and do both sides accept it? Because the United States is uh, and in the West is still gonna they're gonna play music people are still gonna be eating it's not gonna be everywhere like in the middle east um where everybody seems to completely acknowledge and respect each other's religions more and more but here it's a little bit of a mix what what how how has it changed over the years well muslims in america have of course lived uh and continue to live as a minority community uh, and they don't find a broader community and society to really be incompatible. Uh, there's uh, no imposition. Uh, if Muslims uh, want to stay in the Muslim lane, they're more than welcome to do so. Uh, there's no compulsion to drink alcohol or to eat pork or to engage and indulge in anything uh, that would be part of the broader cultural mosaic. And so having that space has always been uh, part of the Muslim American experience. At the same time, what we're noticing is that Muslim Americans uh, are developing more visibility and, as you said, uh, more acceptance uh, within broader society on a few different levels. One is uh, corporate America is certainly recognizing uh, Muslim Americans. Uh, we see a lot more uh, companies and stores not only uh, providing Ramadan greetings, but also uh, providing Ramadan products, greeting cards, uh, and other uh, kind of merchandise and paraphernalia. But I think the most important thing that we're seeing is also at the institutional level. Uh, schools, for example, are becoming much more accommodating to the needs of uh, young Muslim students, uh, recognizing that maybe students who are fasting uh, during the day, uh, the daylight hours, uh, might be operating in a slower gear. Uh, there is now recognition in the largest uh, public school district in the country in New York City that the Eid festival will be recognized as a public holiday for school uh, for students and then there's also social media uh, the number of uh, people uh, who are greeting Muslims uh, with a Ramadan Mubarak or a happy um, uh, Ramadan uh, 
genuinely curious to want to learn about Ramadan and what is it that uh, Muslims have to endure and why do they do it. Uh, a very popular meme is not even water uh, because that's uh, one of the most common questions that uh, Muslims are, are uh, asked is that, okay, we get it that maybe between sunrise and sunset you don't eat, you abstain from smoking, from marital relations and other, but not even water. Uh, so it provides a wonderful opportunity for that normalization. Some Something that other religions went through as well. Catholics, uh, for example. When I was growing up, uh, I always noticed that on Fridays, the menu in the cafeteria at school was uh, really the same. It was uh, fish sandwiches and macaroni and cheese. I learned later that that had to do, of course, with uh, Catholic students with uh, meatless Fridays. So the United States has always had that mechanism to go ahead and accommodate uh, for uh, religious minorities, and uh, Muslims are no different. I remember uh, growing up uh, with uh, the Jewish community uh, back in the 50s and 60s, and uh, the Jewish community would put up uh, uh, Christmas trees and call them Hanukkah bushes because uh, Hanukkah wasn't really accepted back then in the 50s and 60s the way it is uh, today. So it seems like this is a normal process for every religion in the United States, um, that the Christian and the Americans are more... Um, you know, I don't want to use the word tolerant because it's not a tolerance. It's accepting, you know, accepting other religions. Yet we still see some issues surface, don't we, where no matter how much and how many people, how many officials welcome Ramadan, as we saw the president and other elected officials do this way, we've seen still some of that anti-Muslim uh, attitudes and incidents that have come across. We're never going to get away from that, are we? Uh, unfortunately, it seems like it's going to be a challenge that'll be with us for quite a while. And I think it's important to remember uh, that it's not just necessarily uh, directed toward Muslims. I remember that in 2012, uh, when uh, then uh, Mitt Romney, uh, the former governor of Massachusetts, now senator from Utah, was uh, the presidential candidate on the Republican ticket, uh, there were a lot of people who had a problem with a Mormon uh, being uh, someone running for high office. So. Uh, we see, and I think it's interesting for uh, Muslims as non-Christians to see some of the conflicts within the Christian uh, narrative. Uh, it sometimes seems a little bit odd to us, as I imagine it would be for uh, Christians to look at some of the sectarian or denominational issues uh, that exist within the Muslim community. Isn't the burden on our backs uh, as Arabs? I mean, as a Palestinian, I had to spend my whole life explaining what a Palestinian was just to get Americans to understand it. Sometimes we don't do a very good job of communicating with uh, American society. We don't use the PR. We don't use the process of education. We react to the anger more than we look. Not everybody hates us. Some, some do, but some are just cautious they're afraid they don't they're afraid of things they don't know and sometimes we don't want to blanket everybody is hating us and i bet the majority of people out there just sometimes don't understand who we are are we doing enough to educate americans about uh islam about muslims about ramadan there's always more that can be done and uh part of the uh, the essence of that is really to be neighborly uh, to not be offended by somebody who's asking a question. Most of the time, the questions come uh, from a very good place and good faith, uh, wanting to learn. Uh, there certainly are people who ask the gotcha questions. 
Uh, but generally speaking, we find that uh, when it's a neighbor, when it's a coworker, when it's a colleague, uh, they, they, they just want to know. And uh, we can't necessarily presume that everybody knows that it's somehow self-evident uh, for a religion like Islam and for the practices, uh, especially getting over the hump that it is uh, invariably in a different language. Uh, it's in a different cultural register. So uh, definitely, I think it's important to go ahead. Sometimes we can be proactive uh, in uh, providing that information. But at the very least, when it comes to being responsive, uh, for us to be open about it. And and Islam is no different than other uh the two major religion other two major religions uh Judaism and Christianity uh wh what's the most important thing that um non-Muslims should know about uh Ramadan um moving forward here in the United States and in the West. I think the most important thing uh to recognize about Ramadan is that it has both spiritual as well as social dimensions to it. I mean, here is a month where uh, Muslims are, uh, as, uh, as Sister Rowan said, checking in to become a better version of themselves. Uh, I always think about it as being like a, a computer with an operating system. Uh, this is an opportunity to troubleshoot, to see if there's any bugs that need to be debugged and uh, give oneself a, um, the update and the upgrade to a better uh, operating system. Uh, which can then allow people to, on uh, a myriad of issues, including uh, social interaction with uh, people outside the Muslim community, uh, form a better society. And let's turn to uh, Rawan Redwan about uh, the preparations and things taking place in Saudi Arabia uh, in Mecca. Uh, what's happening there? What's being done for uh, the coronavirus, for protection of pilgrims? Well, as you know, yesterday was the first day of Ramadan and today is the second day. And just before the initial you know, start of Ramadan, the uh, presidency of two holy of the affairs of two, two, holy, two holy mosques have issued a series of, of guidelines and protocols with relevant authorities involved as well, such as the Ministry of Interior, Ministry of Health. And all of this was to ensure that every worshiper and all pilgrims that are arriving at either the Prophet's Mosque in Medina or the Grand Mosque at Mecca receive the proper care and attention that they deserve. They come first. Their health comes first. So the first thing that they issued was that no worshiper will be allowed in unless they have received at least one of the vaccine jabs and has recovered from the COVID vaccine, the, the coronavirus, excuse me. Um, the reason why they did this is to ensure that the, the, the prevalence or, you know, the occurrence of an infection is dumbed down to just literally zero percent. No chances will be taken whatsoever. Do they um, need to bring something that shows that like a card or something that they had the vaccination? We don't do cards anymore. We have gone digital and wow. we're literally digital Maybe. by default. We have something called like a health passport. It's not a health passport per se, it's an application that will allow you into establishments and commercial establishments across Saudi Arabia. Uh, the app is called Tawakkalna and it basically shows a barcode with, you know, it just shows your name, your, your, your ID number and a barcode with a, with, a, with a color, you know, it depends on what your status is. So if you're, let's say, if you're vaccinated, if you're fully immune, then it's a darker green color. If you just received one jab, it's a lighter green. And if, let's say, you arrived from, I don't know, the U.S., for example, uh, it could, the barcode could either be a blue or a purple color. 
and that will then need you to just isolate I, and things like that. But I hope yeah. the White House and uh, our government is listening because that's a phenomenal idea. So far, <laughs> all I have is a card that goes in my passport when I go to the when I'm allowed to go to the airport. Hopefully soon. No, you cannot cannot be allowed in any way, anywhere, anywhere. And I'm not talking. I'm not. I'm talking even as something as small as a a shop at a at a gas station. You can't go in unless you show that you are cleared to enter. Um, and of course, going back to the topic of the entrance to the holy mosques, um, this year it's it's refreshing, honestly, seeing like how last year was just you know empty of worshippers. This is right. not something that you would want to see in any anywhere, whether you are a Muslim or not. It's just it just shows how how big of an impact this this pandemic had on people. And um, seeing worshippers back again, it would just basically brought hope back again to the lives of Muslims everywhere. And um, making sure that the the worshippers enter, you know, safe. Um, the rules are very strict. They're very, very rigid. You cannot enter unless you're vaccinated, unless you've recovered. You have to go through certain uh, entryways. Uh, you can't enter even with your car. You have to park your car somewhere. A bus will take you after proving that you have a reservation and you enter. And of course, you can't make any reservations in like, unless through, except through the Wakanda app and another app called Atamarna. So again, we're going very digital here. Um, you have a very specific time period for you to stay at the mosque. You have about an hour and a half at maximum, maximum two hours. You have a specific time slot. Um, what else? Um, worshippers at the Grand Mosque in Mecca are allowed to just, you know, perform Umrah across all hours of the day. For those who are wishing to pray, of course, you're only allowed in to pray and you have to leave. For the, Grand, for the Prophet's Mosque in, in Medina, the mosque closes after uh, the evening prayers, the tarawih, the asha and tarawih prayers. Um, the mosque closes after that and then reopens before, just a little bit before, about a half an hour before the fajr or dawn prayers. Um, again, reason being is they need to make sure that the people arriving are safe. And they, the fun thing is, it's just, they have, in the Grand Mosque, they have about 10,000 plus wor uh, workers who work round the clock. The mosque is sanitized 10 times a day. So you can imagine wow. the magnitude of, of wow. just the work, you know, and this is all to just make sure that people are safe. You can't have, you can't go get a plastic cup just to drink water or Zamzam water, the holy Zamzam water. No, they're bottled up for you. And about 200,000 plus bottles are distributed per day. You cannot enter the mosque with your food, with, with, just like a meal. No, you have to have your own. You are allowed with you. You are allowed in with just some dates, water, or or, or milk, or um, what we call leban. It's like a yogurt drink, right. and that's it. What used to happen before was huge and long lines of, of, of meals being given or distributed to worshippers and prayer, like just waiting for to break their their break to break their fast. But it's not the case this time around. Is there an anticipation that these uh, new procedures are going to continue moving forward, um, or is it just for this coronavirus? No, I am. We we we're not sure, but um, this is for the long run. We know that this is going to be for the long run. And um, Hajj is the same. For example, you cannot go and attend. You can't perform Hajj uh, unless you're vaccinated. 
uh, that's another example. So we're not really sure, but you know what? If it works, it works. Um, yeah. And it has brought a lot of comfort to a lot of people instead of just, you know, there's a lot of overcrowding in these, uh, especially during the month of Ramadan where everyone wants to go and perform their prayers during Ramadan. There's a saying by the Prophet that, um, and please, Mr. Said, correct me if I'm wrong here, that um, Umrah in Ramadan is an equivalent to a Hajj with the Prophet. Again, I'm not. Is is that that's that's it, the same? It, it it has the same spiritual reward, but yeah. it's not a substitute yeah. for the obligation of the exactly. Hajj. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Right. It's not a substitute, but it 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 just shows that how much people want to go and perform Umrah during Ramadan, and there's just something very spiritual about it. There's this very calm and very I have no. I, I I'm I'm lost for words here because it is very difficult to explain. I think Mr. Saeed knows what I'm talking about. And uh, if everyone is safe and everyone comes in comfortably and just performs whatever the, their their umrah, their 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 rituals or the prayers or even just to sit and meditate and just pray, just knowing that you're safe doing so is very comfortable, especially during right. this time. All right, Said, uh, can uh, Professor Khan, any final thoughts about Ramadan and uh, its acceptance in the U.S. Uh, that you want to share? I, I would strongly welcome people who want to learn about Ramadan to uh, to find uh, a Muslim American. Uh, also, I, although it's a little bit more of a challenge now in uh, the time of COVID, uh, it's a bit difficult to go to Islamic centers or mosques, uh, but certainly to consult websites. Uh, now, uh, as uh, Sister Rowan said, uh, we're all going digital. Uh, there's a lot of information that's available, uh, but at least uh, uh, perhaps as some Muslim Americans are doing, uh, try to get invited to a virtual iftar, uh, a breaking of a fast. That's something that certainly uh, COVID allowed to have happen last year, uh, which will continue this year. And then help set up those building blocks that once, uh, God willing, we are out of uh, uh, the COVID lockdown, uh, that we can come out uh, a better version uh, and uh, with better bonds and ties to people socially uh, in which they can uh, better uh, understand and experience uh, Ramadan together. Well, in the spirit of Ramadan and a beautiful religion, um, I want to offer both of you, Saeed Khan, professor in the Department of History and lecturer at the Department of Near East and Asian Affairs Studies at Wayne State University, a Ramadan Mubarak and Ramadan Kareem, and also to our friend Rowan Redwan, an Arab News Deputy Section Editor and writer best, uh, based in Saudi Arabia, Ramadan Kareem, Ramadan Mubarak, Rowan. Thank you both so much for joining us and offering a little insight i mean i'm sure there's so much more that we could do this could go on for hours um, but it's so important and uh i appreciate both of you uh joining us this morning to talk about it thank you shukran and thank you you're welcome all right uh, this is ray hanania we're broadcasting live here in detroit and washington dc we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to speak with a representative of uh, the Israeli Likud Party, former UN Israeli ambassador to the United Nations, Danny Dannon. I'm Ray Hanania. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with that interview right after these messages. 
ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Life is a nonprofit charity that's provided humanitarian aid and development to people and communities for over 25 years, regardless of race, color, religion, or cultural background. When disaster occurs here or around the world, Life for Relief and Development rushes in to provide food, medical aid, and shelter to those in need. Please help improve these efforts. Make your tax-deductible donation to Life now at lifeusa.org or call 248-424-7493. Wearing a mask is more than protection. It's a bridge to better days. The path back to celebrations with family. Nights out on the town with friends. Game days with your favorite sports teams. And the thrill of live concerts. But until we can all get the COVID-19 vaccine and build community immunity, which will take time, we all need to continue to stay careful because Michigan's recovery is depending on you and so are your family, friends, and neighbors. So even after you're vaccinated, wear a mask, avoid large gatherings, and social distance. One day in the near future, we will all be able to put this pandemic behind us. But until then, spread hope, not COVID. Learn more at michigan.gov coronavirus. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Enjoy the first Syrian-style cuisine in Michigan. At Damas Cuisine and Catering, you'll find a wide selection of Syrian foods and sweets in our menu. Like frike, hoisee, grape leaves with steak, mashawi platter, hot mahashi, char-grilled kebab, shawarma, and much more. Get super-fast delivery from Damas Cuisine and Catering right to your door. Order online at damascuisine.com forward slash menu and track your order live. Damas Cuisine and Catering. 28841 Orchard Lake Road in Farmington Hills. Call 248-987-4985. The U.S. Arab Radio Network is proud to offer the Ray Hanania Show with veteran journalist Ray Hanania, the U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper. U.S. Arab Radio broadcast content Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, WDMV 700 in Washington, D.C., and simulcast through stations around the country. Programs will rerun from 5 till 6 p.m. Visit us on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio. And we're also streaming live on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. And we're back here at uh, WNZK AM 690 in Detroit and WDMV AM 700 in Washington, D.C., streaming live on Arab News Facebook page to more than five and a half million uh, uh, followers. So welcome, everybody. Um, I'm really honored to have our next guest. Uh, during our first show, we interviewed former PLO spokesperson Hanan Ashrawi, who was very critical of Israel's policies toward the Palestinians. And this morning, we have the former Israeli ambassador to the United Nations, Danny Dannon, who was chairman of the sixth legal committee in 2016 at the UN 
and the following year as vice president of the General Assembly for its 72nd session. During his tenure, Dannon spearheaded numerous resolutions and efforts that changed Israel's standing at the UN. He's a leader and chairman of the World Likud, if I have that correct, uh, Ambassador Dannon, and uh, concerned about peace. And we're going to talk about Israel and Palestine and peace and Iran, the challenges there, and even the new Biden administration. Ambassador, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you very much for having me, Ray. I'm uh, really excited to participate on your show. And uh, just uh, obviously, let, let's get into some of the tough issues first and then talk about, uh, you know, a few of the other issues like the Biden administration and Iran. But do you really believe that Palestinians and Israelis will ever sign a comprehensive peace accord that results in two states, Israel and Palestine. Is peace really possible from your perspective? I'm optimistic uh, by nature. Uh, and I think if we look what's happening today between uh, Israel and Egypt, uh, after we had a, a very, very costly war for both sides, uh, and today we have a strong peace treaty, same goes with uh, Jordan. And now we have treated with the UAE, Bahrain, Morocco, Sudan, so yes, I think it will happen. We might have to wait until there will be the right leadership um, to actually form those agreements. Uh, you know, I always referred to my colleague at the UN, uh, the Palestinian representative, and I told him, I am waiting for a leader like Anwar Sadat uh, that will emerge from the Palestinian uh, people and will say, enough with the bloodshed, enough with the wars, this is time for peace. Once that will happen, we will, there will be a partner in our side to sign a peace treaty. Do you think the Abraham Accords uh, will, are, will be a vehicle to pave that peace with all the Arab world? Um, or as some critics you know, are going to say, they think it's a way for Israel to walk around the Palestinians. Is it a, 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 a blueprint to bring peace throughout the Middle East for all? I think it's a, an important step in the right direction. I think it will help the process. Eventually, it will help the Palestinians to take the tough decisions. Uh, and I personally believe that when we will start negotiating with the Palestinians, we should have those leaders in the room. Uh, and we should pick about regional uh, challenges and regional opportunities. Uh, I don't think, uh, you know, once we signed in the agreement, uh, it solved the problem with the Palestinians. The Palestinians are here, we are here to stay. We have to learn to live together, to walk together. But I do believe that the presence of other moderate leaders in the process can be helpful. I, I know there's still always still violence between our two people. And uh, I and we could sit here and call each other names. We could blame each other. Um, and I really don't want to do that because I, I really like to get to the essence. And I think you addressed it, that the idea that, you know, you want peace, we want peace. Um, how do we do that? What do you think needs to be done? What do we have to do to move this forward? Does it take another? Uh, is it just the Palestinian leaders that have to change or is it the Israeli leadership that has to change, too? Ray, I spent uh, more than five years at the UN, and, and I met leaders from all around the world, and I traveled to many places. At the end of the day, we are all the same. We care about 
putting bread on the table for our families. We care about education for our children uh, and the well-being of our surroundings. Uh, and it goes for uh, Muslims, uh, Christians, uh, and Jews. And I want to take this opportunity and wish Ramadan Karim, uh, happy Ramadan to all of my colleagues from all around the world. I, I think it takes leadership. When, when I say leadership, it's from all sides. And I want to go back to that agreement we signed with Egypt. Four years after a bloody war we had in 1973, Anwar Sadat landed in Israel, approached the Israeli parliament, uh, and we believed him. We believed that he's a partner. Once we will believe that there is a partner among the Palestinian side, the Israelis will be willing to negotiate. And at the end of the day, both sides will have to make compromises. So, but you need a leader for that. I don't think that President Abbas is the right leader. I don't think he wants to be there. Uh, I think he wants to finish uh, his uh, term in history, uh, not being the one who actually is signing the agreement or making the compromises. Uh, it, it is unfortunate because we're going to have to wait for the next generation to emerge and hopefully to negotiate with us. Is it still possible, though, to have... Uh... And, and let me pin you down. Is it, uh, you, when you say you support peace, do you actually support a Palestinian state in the in some form, West Bank with Gaza, or is it just peace between the two? I mean, just explain that to the listeners. I, I think uh, all those issues will have to be determined in uh, in the negotiation room. We should not come today with declaration. And I can tell you in general that. Uh, my goal uh, is to uh, give as much freedom as possible to the Palestinian people uh, without risking the well-being and security of the Israelis. So the question is, is where, where you draw the line? What is the balance over there? Uh, and, and I think it's not the problem of land. I'm very familiar with the land in Judea and Samaria. And I can tell you, and I just traveled there last week with my family, the majority of the land in Judea and Samaria is vacant. It's desert, nothing there. So it's not a problem that we're actually fighting over land. Uh, who is going to be the place for, for the Palestinians? There is a place for the Jews. It's more, it's more about recognition. It's more about actually recognizing the fact that uh, both sides will stay here and we eventually will have to work together. I appreciate you saying both sides. I, I thought you were just going to say recognizing Israel, as I often hear from Israelis. So that's a, a positive uh, thing. We have a new president in the United States who's changing things, but I want to play a clip from uh, Hanan Ashrawi, who was talking about uh, uh, President Biden. So uh, uh, my producer in the studio, if you could play clip three, if that's possible, if you would do that. And let's listen. When they're saying we will undo some of the things, it means they are keeping the major issues in place, like moving the American embassy to Jerusalem, which is well, unacceptable. And then uh, play clip two also, if you don't mind. Unfortunately, the Biden administration seems to think that they can just do a few symbolic gestures, give us a few handouts, 15 million for COVID relief. Right. Of course, we spend much, much more than that. Actually, the occupation costs us 10 billion a year in terms of what they steal from us. 
Uh, Ambassador, it sounds like there's a huge burden on the Palestinians in terms of needing finances and needing support. And uh, from Hanan Ashrawi's explanation, it seems like there's even a little hesitancy to believe that uh, President Biden might deliver on peace. What do you expect from, uh, first, how do you react to what uh, Hanan Ashrawi said? And what do you expect from the Biden administration? What do you think will happen? You know, I, I don't know if we planned it uh, in advance, Ray, but today in Israel, we celebrate our independence, uh, a 73 of independence. And it's very symbolic because since 1948, we had the can-do approach. When the UN passed the partition plan, uh, we were not happy with that. We thought it wasn't good enough, but we took it. We took it and we were optimistic and, and we started to build our nation. On the other hand, the, the Palestinians, since 1948, they chose rejectionism over realism. They always said no. They said no to the partition plan. And then when we had initiatives also coming uh, uh, during uh, President Clinton and President Bush, they always rejected uh, any idea. Uh, and, and I think it is about time that they will have the can-do approach they will think what they can do to help the Palestinian people, and, and not just to reject and blame Israel for everything. We saw, maybe it, it, they, they feel good about it, but it's not actually getting them to where uh, they should be and want to be. Regarding I, the Biden administration, I, I hope that they will continue to be engaged in the region, uh, promoting peace treaties with other countries, and also with the Palestinians. You know, we think that we should negotiate directly with the Palestinians. Eventually, it will have to be both sides entering the room and, and talking directly to one each other. And also, we hope that the, the administration will, will demand that the incitement will stop in the PA, that the payments for terrorists uh, will not continue. Uh, and we hope that the Taylor Force Act, the legislation that passed in Congress, uh, will be implemented. Is Israel willing to do things too? I mean, let's say as you as you say the uh, what you say is the incitement needs to stop and uh, a genuine recognition of Israel. What do Israelis have to do? What do they need to do as their part toward achieving peace? I think we we have to uh, enter the negotiating room room uh, willingly and open minded without preconditions. Uh, I think that's something which is important. Uh, and we are willing to do it. You know, uh, I remember in the Security Council, in one of the debates, President Abbas was there, uh, and he blamed Israel, like always. And I told him, why you took such a long flight to come to New York City to speak here in the Security Council? Nothing will happen here. You know, it's, it's a waste of energy, a waste of time. Uh, instead of that, you know, you can drive from Ramallah to Jerusalem, and within 20 minutes meet the Prime Minister, or you can come from Jerusalem to Ramallah, that is the only way to, to achieve something. But why to travel and to fly and to come to the Security Council? So at the end of the day, my point is we have to enter the room. The leaders will have to enter the room, negotiate directly. And I, I believe that is the only way to move forward. Well, when you look at the candidates running uh, in the Palestinian elections uh, outside of Abbas, do you sense that there's somebody there or anyone there who might be willing to do what you think needs to be done? Well, I think if I will mention a name, I will not help him. So I, I don't think 
Well, how about uh, optimistic? Uh, do you feel optimistic that these elections uh, uh, will? Uh, actually, I, I, I have a, a fear that the Hamas will be able uh, to take over. Uh, it happened in the past uh, during the elections. It can happen again. Uh, you know, I'm not involved and we are not interfering in the process. But uh, you see that there are few uh, factions in the PA coming from the uh, Fatah uh, side, and Hamas is running with one list. And uh, I don't know what will happen there, but the last thing we want to see uh, is Hamas taking over Judea and Samaria. And, uh, and I, I'm going to press you on, uh, because even if you were to name somebody that you favored, there are going to be people that aren't going to like that person no matter what. Um, is there anybody in this election that you think could uh, move this forward? Or are we talking about uh, accepting the status quo, even though we may not want to, uh, that this may go on for years before we actually see a break? So without mentioning names, I think we can speak about generations. I think President Abbas is part of the old generation uh, who cared too much about declarations, about the way things look uh, in the Arab League. And, and I think the best will be to have a practical leader that will actually look at numbers, at the economy, at the COVID situation, collaboration with Israel, you know, I remember when I was trying to promote initiatives in the UN supporting the Palestinians uh, with infrastructure issues and water infrastructure, uh, and we didn't get any cooperation from the Palestinian side because they, they cared that no, they didn't want to show that they are actually working with with us Israelis. So I hope to uh, to find a, a a younger, pragmatic uh, leader who would be very practical about getting things done for the benefit of the Palestinians. Is, is there an issue with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu? Uh, in two years now, we've seen four elections where he's had a razor-thin edge uh, to create the and lead the government, but it doesn't sound strong. Is that enough to see something change, even in this last election? Or is this political divide in Israel also uh, dragging down or blocking uh, the movement toward peace? So uh, I don't know if you remember the quote of uh, Winston Churchill, Ray, uh, when he spoke about democracy, that is, it is the worst form of government except all others. Yes. Uh, and, and we are experiencing it today in Israel. We are proud of our democracy. It's a vivid, strong democracy. But unfortunately, as you mentioned, we had the four cycles, uh, and we hope that in the next few weeks um, we'll be able to put together a, a strong, stable government that will be able to lead us in the next few years. Uh, the last thing we, we need today is, is another cycle of elections with the same results, probably. And, and just a final question on that is, uh, can, uh, do you believe Netanyahu can survive the challenges that he faces in the judicial system? So uh, we have a strong judicial system, uh, and we are also proud of that. It is a lengthy uh, procedure. It will take a few years. Uh, the Prime Minister, and he told me that, he told me that he's sure that uh, um, he will uh, be able to beat uh, all allegations uh, in court, but it will take time. Uh, and what we saw in the last election, that despite the three indictments, and serious indictments against the Prime Minister, he still got uh, the majority 
uh, I wouldn't say majority, but uh, the Likud party is the largest party in the parliament with 30 seats out of 120. So despite everything that uh, the, is very dread about the allegation, uh, he has a strong support. So let's turn tables uh, and focus on something that maybe we can both agree on also <laughs> definitively. Iran, uh, its regime remains a continued threat. Um, I know that President Biden's approach to Iran is different than uh, his predecessor. What do you make of what uh, President Biden is doing? Do you think negotiations are going to result in a change? Uh, will we be uh, able to avoid uh, Iran becoming a nuclear power and uh, do you have much faith in the strategy that the president is pursuing? So, so first, uh, I will make uh, two assumptions. First, uh, we know that Iran is a threat, a threat to Israel, to the Middle East, to the stability of the world. The second assumption I want to make is that the agreement that was signed in 2015 it was a bad agreement, the JCPOA. And today, it's, it's not better, it's even worse. So, uh, and now the question what the U.S. will do. Uh, I hope that the, the new administration will not be entering the JCPOA as it is without any amendments. That would be bad. It would be a sign that uh, the administration is trying to appease the Iranians. Uh, and we saw, <coughs> we saw what, they been, what they have been doing in the last few days. What would you the like to see? second option. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. That, it, that they will try to to improve the agreement. And if they will try to do that, you know, we have a few ideas about what should be improved in the agreement. The, you know, the inspection, the ballistic missile tests, uh, the sunset clause, the, the billions of dollars that they give to proxies and promote terrorism. So we will, we will be able to work with the U.S. on that. But uh, I still it's not clear yet uh, to call whether Biden is willing to push for amendments always eager to go back to the agreement. Do you think the most important amendment is uh, to get Iran to allow complete inspections of all the sites that exist in Iran? Is that the most important, do you think? So, uh, you know, I think they're all important, but for sure, you know, after we saw that they were uh, deceiving uh, during the, the last period of the, of the agreement, I think it's very important to have real uh, inspectors on the ground and, and not the mechanism that you have to call them, ask for their permission, and then you can come in a few weeks. You know, that's a game. You know, it doesn't work. And knowing the Iranians, you think they're going to even go along with that, an idea like that? So first, we know that the sanctions are, are, are very strong. There are people in their economy. We know that we saw the numbers, uh, and um, you cannot say that the sanctions didn't help. The reason that they are negotiating today is because of the sanctions. So I think uh, we should continue with the sanctions regime. Uh, on the other end, you know, they play for the long run. You know, we look we look at cycles of four years. You know, President Trump, President Biden, Prime Minister Netanyahu. They look for the long run, and that's why they are so dangerous. Maybe we should be tougher with Iran, more so with sanctions than we already are. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think that the, the fact that the, the sanctions uh, of the U.S. were actually working uh, and the fact that European companies chose to pull out from Tehran 
despite the request of European governments. They asked them to stay, by the way. Right? They told them, stay, we're going to give you the assurances that most of the companies, uh, they were afraid from the secondary sanctions coming from the Treasury Department of the U.S., and they pulled out. Uh, so I think if you get the uh, Europeans on board with the strength of the U.S., you can actually affect uh, the outcome. So you support the president, uh, what he's doing, but you think he must be tougher uh, must with Iran. He shouldn't appease them, uh, and he should not go back to the agreement without demanding the amendments. All right. Ambassador Dannon, uh, uh, Israel's um, former ambassador to the U.N., Danny Dannon. Danny, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I, I wish I had a five-hour show. One day, Arabs in America are going to have a big show, and uh, we can talk in much more greater length and detail. But I want to thank you for joining us for this uh, brief half hour to talk about some of these very important issues. Thank you very much, and uh, happy Ramadan uh, to everybody. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. This is Ray Hanania. We're going to take our final break, and when we come back, we'll just have a few quick closing comments. I'm Ray Hanania. We'll be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Get ready for an amazing experience at Ishtar Restaurant on 15 Mile Road in Sterling Heights. Enjoy excellent hospitality from owners Ali al-Baghdadi and Fatty Bottom serving the best in Mediterranean food. Try Chef Ali al-Baghdadi's famous shawarma, the best Iraqi grills and food, and the best Arabic and international dishes. Dine in our authentic atmosphere or take out. Call 586-698-2585 or check us out on Facebook. Ishtar Restaurant practices all CD guidelines and is open every day 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Have an amazing experience today at Ishtar Restaurant, 3625 15 Mile Road, Sterling Heights. At Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic in Dearborn, we provide effective physical therapy sessions in order to limit pain and discomfort. Top Rehab provides physical therapy care for any diagnosis prescribed by a physician, and we regularly see and treat conditions such as stroke, TMJ, fibromyalgia, sciatica, joint pain, and more. We use a variety of pain management methods, including modalities, soft tissue mobilization, and therapeutic exercise. If you're in need of physical rehabilitation or physical therapy, get the highest quality health care at Top Rehab. Most insurance is accepted and we're open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday 8 to 6, Tuesday and Thursday 8 to 5, and Saturday 10 till 2. Call for an appointment today at 313-846-0555. That's 313-846-0555. Choose Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic on Michigan Avenue in Dearborn. Life's too short to be in pain. When you're looking for the best in optical care, Dr. Imad Nakash is your doctor to see. With years of experience and thousands of successful procedures performed, you can trust your eyes to Dr. Imad Nakash. See Dr. Imad Nakash and his professional staff for your eye care needs. There's two locations to serve you. In Hazel Park, call 248-336-3937. 248-336-3937. In Rochester Hills, call 248-299-3937. That's 248 298-3937. 
Thank you, everybody, to all our guests, Saeed Khan, Rowan Radwan, Ambassador Danny Dannon. I'm Ray Hanania, leaving you with a Ramadan Kareem. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye, everybody.